Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Well, first of all, I want to start out by thanking Saga and inviting Saga's presence. In particular, thinking about the power of story as we go into the dark time of fall and winter. And today we're talking about the power of thin places, those places in nature, in people, where different worlds have their thresholds. So to understand more about thin places, listen to our stories. She had always been a bit vague when it came to time. Now with schooling behind her, with its strict schedules, a dense backlog of frustration fell away, leaving her feeling much lighter and free. As she drove her rental car on the ring road on Iceland's main highway, leaving the city behind, she felt that sense of freedom increasing as she headed west and then north. With maps spread out on the seat next to her, a travel mug of tea in reach, a giddy sense of delight washed through her. As the miles sped by, she felt virtually untethered. That sensation became acute and required managing as she drove through literally miles of tunnel underground, underwater, below a fjord. The relief she felt when she emerged from the dark tunnel in the earth up into the light of day felt like being birthed into a new world. She shivered and kept driving. Disa was on the holiday trip to Iceland that she had dreamed about for years. This was the reward trip that she had saved and planned for after her schooling was completed. She was combining exploration of the natural wonders of the country with a chance of finding some of the embroidery known as white work that occupied generations of Icelandic women in the dark hours of winter. Armed with a list of museums and likely secondhand shops, as well as maps of natural wonders, the thrill of possible discovery drove her to the north where the list of shops in small towns drew her. As the miles and the hours sped by, she fell into a reverie Imagining the early settlers and the constant spinning of wool and the weaving that the women practiced out of necessity. With her degree in textiles, she knew the various steps the women took to produce cloth. Her gift of imagination allowed her to put herself into various timelines of history. The images of spinning, first with spindles and later with spinning wheels, occupied her as she drove through landscapes that seemed all the more vast and open for lack of trees. Though she saw the turnoffs to various towns on her list, she kept driving, deciding she would go to the farthest location of the listed towns and work her way back. 
the image of spinning became textural as well when she started seeing the shaggy sheep dotted along the green landscape at various intervals and could imagine the feel of the wool between her fingers. In another timeline, in the north, a carved and decorated door swung open on a sod house and a woman came out carrying a staff, an oiled cloth bundle, and a large woolen cloak over her arm. She propped her staff against the door, put the bundle down and tied her cloak on, securing it in place with a stout cloak pin in the shape of a distaff and wild beast. She whistled for her dog, who bounded to her tail wagging. Satisfied as she looked around that everything was secure, she felt into her pockets for the objects she intended to bring, picked up the staff and bag and called Bjorn, come, to her massive dog. The two of them followed the path out of the little valley that enveloped her homestead and out into the bright light and slight wind on the flank of the mountain Spaukenfell. The mountain was named after her, but then why shouldn't it be when she lived here for the bulk of her long years, practicing the craft of spotting and seeing? She did more than just seeing, but the time for claiming that was over now that the white Christ had made his way to her area. Seeing was the only safe work left to her, as sentiment about her from the nearby settlement was changing from respect and a little fear to just fear. Less and less people made their way to her for help, and then they usually came in the dark of night, an impossible task in the summer when there was no dark. Thordis and Bjorn, the dog, made their way steadily and slowly to the base of the mountain and began to climb a trail that only she could see. For her, the trail was plain as day, made for her by the elves who lived in the mountain. One of them, who had become a friend, had let her know that she did not have much time left to her. She already knew that, for death held no fear for her with as much congress with the dead as she had had in her long career as a vulva and a wise woman. Without any heirs, and in these changing times, it had been a puzzle for her what to do with the riches she had earned and made in her lifetime. The time when she could have chosen an apprentice and trained her up had been over for years, and her own safety had only been assured first by loyalty, and then with her own fearsome reputation for magic. At first, she had enjoyed the skirmishes with the local priest, now a fixture in the settlement that was becoming a village. Of late, she was irritated by his interest in driving her out and diminishing her while doing it. She'd wanted to live out her last years in peace. This excursion up the mountain, a task that was becoming harder each year, was one part of her plan to move on. She'd slowly chosen what was most important to her and brought it to the doorway in the mountain. Each item that she brought was carefully chosen after drinking the visioning herbs in a tea and then looking into her fire. What she had seen was that while gold was always valuable, something else of hers was also of great importance. This was a length of woven woolen cloth that she had loomed and embroidered with scenes from her life and her work, including the god she was named for and the goddess she served. It also depicted the land spirits, the wind spirit who was anchored in the vicinity of her mountain and her dear friends, the elves. It was a chronicle of her life imbued with her memories. 
What she had seen in her fires last winter was that her way of life was being stamped out by Christian feet for a long time before it would emerge again from the earth and be birthed into a new time. This embroidered cloth was a record of Thordis's existence and her skill. She trudged slowly up the path, sometimes helped by the wind and sometimes hindered by it. Old friend, she said aloud to the wind, I'm just changing form, not leaving you. Disa pulled up in front of the textile museum in Blandos and got out, stretching her legs. She paid for entrance and picked up a guide to the little and well-laid-out museum. As she looked at the cloths and the uses each one was for, she longed to be able to finger the cloths to gain what knowledge she could from her imagination and from the texture of the cloth. It was both satisfying and unsatisfying to not touch, a feeling which had led her into learning conservation of textiles. Coming to the end of the museum and browsing and shopping in the little gift shop, she selected some brochures from the plexiglass stand. Opening the saga map, she found it noted the locations that pertain to people mentioned in various Icelandic sagas, a map of where famous and ordinary people had once lived. The most interesting one for her was farther north, a little offer route and a peninsula in the town of Skagafjörður. It would make her arrival later than she intended to her hotel, but in the midnight sun, the hour didn't matter too much to her. She rang up her hotel, was assured that however late she arrived, she would be able to get into her room. That decided it. She got into the car and headed north. Taking the turn to Skagafjörður from the main road, she felt a quickening in her. When she approached the town, she stopped by the side of the road because the road to the town went left, but her impulse was to drive on. The brochure indicated that the coastal town hosted painters and resident artists in the summer, and also was the home of an original settler named Thordis, who had been a woman famous in her own right and mentioned in a saga for her magic and her rivalry with a priest. She had not lived in the town, but at the base of her mountain, named for her now as Prophecy Mountain. She made prophecies in her life, but she had also hidden her treasure on the mountain or in the mountain in such a way it could only be found by a woman in the future who was gifted. Apparently, people regularly combed the mountain looking for the treasure, which was assumed to be hacked silver and maybe some gold and ornaments. It had never been found. There was a legend that when she died, Thordis went into the mountain. Disa continued on, working her way around the bottom of the small mountain, which was mesa-like with little vegetation other than purple lupin transplanted from Alaska. Driving to the end of the road, she found a little hut, boarded up, and a place to park. The small building was much too modern to be the remains of Thordis's home. Disa got out of the car, walking around, stretching her legs and getting a feel for the place. On impulse, she pulled her pack with water and camera in it, along with her walking stick out of the car and started looking for a trail up the mountain. She was thinking of authorities of a woman living here, likely alone, a woman with a reputation that lasted for a thousand years. Thordis, she said aloud, Thordis, 
I'm talking to you. Are you here? As she walked, an opening to a path in the thick and scented lupin appeared. She entered and found herself following a twisty path up. Very narrow and not much walked on, the path had a little glow to it. Tisa had experienced time slipping before. It felt a particular way and had a quality of light to it that was recognizable. She felt that now. She was in Iceland in the late hours, though the night was light. However, she thought best to take precautions. Still murmuring the seer's name, she stopped, pulled out her camera, and turned and took a picture of her car off in the distance, much farther away than she thought it should have been. This is a picture of my now and my location, and I want to return to this location on the same day, or tomorrow, she amended, since it was already late into the evening. Satisfied, she'd marked her place, not in like a bookmark, she continued on. The lupin began thinning out the higher she climbed. Disa did not look back. In time slipping, to get it right, one just goes with it. The trail became steeper and seemed to be heading towards a clearing marked by lupin of a different color. Not very subtle, Disa said aloud. Amused and interested, she noted the change in the sky overhead, which was glowing with rich sunset colors. As she struggled up the steepening trail and around a rocky rampart, she emerged into a clearing where an old woman bundled in a woolen cloak stood talking to a tiny woman whose height came up to Disa's knees. A third being stood in front of an ornate doorway into the side of the mountain. This being was tall and attenuated, dressed in richly embroidered cream-colored gown. In the doorway was a small wooden box with metal fittings. A large bear-like dog sat, tongue hanging out. Ah, Disa, said the tall woman, turning to her. You're just in time. Thordis and I have been planning for this meeting with you. And this is Erda, one of the hidden folk, indicating the small woman. Hello, said Disa politely. Planning on meeting me? She bobbed a little bow to them. Yes, Thordis is coming with us and needs to pass her earthly treasures on. We cast our nets and pulled you in, laughed the tall woman with a voice like musical chimes. Disa looked at the older woman, the obviously human woman of the trio. She saw deep blue eyes with vast wisdom, silvery blonde hair and a long intricate braid a face indicating great beauty in her youth and a body hardened by toil. Thank you for catching me in your net. What does that mean? How can I help? I built up two kinds of treasure in my life. Whichever one you want is yours. Thordis seemed a woman of a few choice words and each choice has different possibilities, asked Disa. The three women exchanged glances and nodded. Do I get to see or choose sight unseen? Disa asked, noting that this odd conversation was taking on a ritual rhythm. No spoken answer, but the tall woman, 
possibly an elf, thought Disa, pushed the wooden box heavier than it looked through the doorway in front of her. Thordis propped her carved staff against the doorframe and slowly offered the waxed cloth bundle she carried. Which do you want to see first? Disa took a breath and thought about it carefully. When presented with a gift by three magical women on a mountainside in the middle of the midnight sun shining night, you have to be careful. The box looked heavy, and for its time, it must have been a beautiful object itself. Whatever was in it may be real treasure because it looked like a strong box for valuables. The shapeless oiled sack looked to hold something equally shapeless, judging by how it hung over Thordis's arm. Disa closed her eyes, remembering to insist in her mind's eye on being able to return to her own time and let herself feel the energies of the bag, which was closer to her, and then the box. The box's energy felt cold and heavy, with energy and old emotions. The sack felt more alive and brimming. She opened her eyes and looked at Thordis and said, I choose the sack. The elven woman pulled the box across the doorway where it vanished. Thordis closed her own eyes, briefly hugging the sack to her, and then handed it abruptly to the girl. The power of Thor and much more. Freya's light is Freya's might. With these cryptic words, she called the dog and stepped through the doorway and vanished. The tiny woman, tugging on Disa's pant leg, reached up and gave Disa a small stone from her pocket. Tuck that away. It's a summoning stone, among other things. Disa put it in her pocket and waved back as the tiny woman crossed the door after Thordis. She faced the elven woman who said, come back and visit sometime, turning to go. Please wait, said Disa. What am I to do with what is in here? She said, indicating the sack. The elven woman said, that's your choice. Best not to open it until you're safely home. Goodbye for now, Disa. Goodbye, what is your name? The elven woman paused in the doorway and turning around gave her a rather acute look, nodded her head and said, you may call me Ode. And she too walked across the threshold and vanished. Disa stood watching and then sat down abruptly, clutching the bulky sack as the door faded and vanished, leaving only an unmarked rock face and the dusty footprints of three beings and a dog. Wow. Can we hear more? <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. I That's honestly, because I'm a little sleepy, wanted to curl up and listen to you all night. <laughs> so. Thank you. And there's so much magic and knowledge and lore in this story. And I'm curious how it all came for you. Are there threads of this that you can really relate to in a way that makes the story even more magical. It's magical on its own, but it just feels so packed full of delightful morsels of magic. Thank you. I'm not sure how to answer that. I've been on that trip to that mountain and that helped to be able to describe the scene, but it really 
felt as though it was a sharing from Thordis herself. And that I found really fascinating. It certainly felt like a gift. It felt like a precious and rare gift to, to hear. And Thordis's presence among the other magical beings was still is very powerful, at least for me. I was just so grateful to be there. I kind of wanted to be there in reality, but I was thrilled to be there in story form. It was very exciting and comforting at the same time. I personally enjoyed that Disa had enough knowledge of the lore to be able to conduct herself so ably in the situation. And also that it was this amazing confluence of events that were occurring too in completely different timelines. And how she knew to set these anchors in place ahead of time, almost as if she expected that where she was going and who she was about to meet could really throw her into another timeline. And it did, in a sense, because the thin place is another timeline or another dimension that's not always open both ways, depending on how we enter. But she knew enough about or had enough perception of the future. So she feels like a seer or somebody that can travel between time, which would be a seer, to really anchor herself back into present time. Maybe if somebody else were to go on that trip, they may not have returned. Or maybe not have come down the mountain into their the time they left, but found themselves in yet a different time, depending on the thin place. That could be a possibility, I think. The sense I had of Disa as I was writing with her, you know, writing with her and her story was that she had made mistakes in time slipping before. <laughs> and so that, you know, she was now um, had her own sense of the being able to bookmark a place so that she could get back to it. And that reminds me of the fairy lore where people, if they were lucky enough to enter into the fairy mound, Perhaps the elven mound would stick their knife in the doorway and that would be their bookmark so that they could come back out of the mound. The mound couldn't close with them in it with that knife there. I never heard that lore. Oh, yeah. very. That's, oh, wow. that's lore that happens in quite a few fairy places, I think. I absolutely had that impression as she was going in. I was like, she knows. She knows what this trip is going to be, even if she doesn't know exactly how it will play out. She's right. done this before. Yeah. And how many people have had that experience of being on a journey and kind of going, well, I plan to go here, but the impulse is to go here and go with it rather than stick to their other itinerary. Yeah. I also loved when she went and amended it to have another day. Like, oh, it's okay if I go overnight. <laughs> She was up for it. Well, she was willing to be flexible, which is important in thin places. You have to adjust to the landscape and the light and whatever language that you might have to learn to speak. And I'm really curious about the beings and their agenda around her coming back into present time or what would happen if she followed them, if that was even an option. Was she meant to come back to her time? Was that part of the gift that she were to carry on this tradition in present time? That's a great question because myself, having been poised on thin places, the impulse is, do I 
attend to my safety or I just lunge across and see what happens. But she was very clear. I mean, it just felt as though she graduated from something and she was willing to have a life, you know, in her current time. My sense, though, for the elven woman who in some ways felt like the real force behind things. I mean, Thordis is a force of her own very much, but the elven woman. I would have thought that if she, if Disa went down the mountain and ended up in a different time, but still had the bundle, that would have been okay too. But my sense with the bundle is that it was waiting for a time to be given over or to be given to somebody in a time where its power could come forth and flourish, for lack of a better way to describe it, because I don't know exactly what all's there yet. I know to some degree what it looks like, but what it can do, I don't know yet. But I hope to find out more about it. Yes, please. I totally hear a sequel coming. <laughs> And I really, really was upset when that door closed and she didn't go. The door is closing. (laughs) But Owen said, we'll see you again. He did. So that I think is the comforting message that could be part of it. But yeah, absolutely. Also, if the beings from the other world know your name before you introduce (laughs) yourself, chances are you'll be seeing them again. And for Disa to know the lore and to ask for the elven woman's name, that's a big ask. That's a huge ask. That is a really big ask. And so there's clearly a relationship of some sort here. If the woman would, if she hadn't liked that question, I could just see her swirling whatever she could swirl as she slammed the door shut even more abruptly. But instead she paused and considered and gave her a name mm-hmm. <laughs> gave her a key a name a key mm-hmm. for those who aren't aware to know someone's name in magical traditions is to have access to them in some sort of way and I think that would give Disa the sense that this was a relationship of some sort whereas it felt like for authorities she was going across and This was a translation from one reality to another. With her gifts and safe hands. And her dog. (laughs) Going across with her dog. Oh, she she took her dog. Good. Good, good. Earlier today, I was just wondering about that, about the retiring of an archetype and how one hands off an archetype. So I find it delightful that you answered the question. Oh, thank you. Authorities answered that question, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious if it's really a retirement. I wonder if we simply lack the word to describe that kind of a passing, a kind of a transformation change, which happens throughout human history, whether a God changes from one form to another for the need of the people, or certain places simply make themselves hidden to protect what's there. So it's that constant movement in and out of form to maintain the integrity of something sacred. And, you know, the conversation that she had with the wind as she was climbing the mountain too, of I'm not leaving, I'm just changing form. 
was a bit of an indicator too that she's remaining there. What her new circumstances are, we don't know, but it'd be interesting if we get a chance to find out. Well, I wondered if that meant would Disa somehow become her or contain certain aspects of her that the spirits would be able to recognize enough to work with her and allow her safe passing? That's what went through my mind when I heard that. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a possibility. And I look forward to the unrolling of the woolen cloth with all the information to be held and guarded by somebody who can understand what went into that textile in the first place to a limited degree, but with a knowledge within it that is just going to keep on unpacking for her. She doesn't know quite what she's in for, but she's up for it. And it feels like through that access to that knowledge, she'll be able to access other sacred weavings from other cultures and other places, and she'll be able to find her voice and hear the other voices as they speak through those knittings. So she chose wisely. The thought I had when I was writing it too was when we're lucky enough to have these magical moments in a thin place where we have some kind of interaction, what in our life preceded this happening, you know, and how our path was prepared or what we went through or were put through, you know, how we were worked in our own way to be able to make it to that thin place and have it be open for us in that way. I think that's fascinating to think about. And in my sense about Disa is that she herself is a bit of a thin place. You know, how she starts out, I've always been a bit vague about time and place. I absolutely love that because I so related. Oh, it's me. <laughs> And having that vagueness of boundaries, you know, if we're really boundary to thin place, we could miss it. But if we're a little softened, a little loosened, a little bit more vague, maybe those thin places are more available to us. Our lines are not defined in sharp marker. And we can recognize a kindred place or a kindred spirit that's also that way. Yeah. Fluid in some kind of way or... I presumed she was going to be tending to whatever authorities was tending to. Like it's a job, but the next holder of that sacred. Well, and her name itself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, so connected to the Desir. It's And so could she possibly be a descendant of authorities? True descendant. Or in the big scheme of thing, an ancestor of Thor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Vague timing. Anything's possible. They were known for remembering the future. Uh-huh. Right. But I do want to add that Thordis was a real person. And this place, the mountain, is a real place for those of you who might be inspired to go and See if you can find that particular doorway. And it's definitely thought that that box of treasure is still in the mountain. I'm sure it is. I totally want to go, and I feel like that treasure is not something you can pick up. 
<laughs> well, you can pick it up, but not with your hands. Right. That's, I think there could be a great truth to that. I think that a number of people have gone to that mountain and not come away empty, so to speak, that they have found something there. Well, thank you. It was absolutely beautiful. I loved listening to it and felt very honored. Thank you. I loved it as well. It's absolutely magical place, magical story, magical beings and told so beautifully. And it's certainly making me think about my own connection to time and how I work so hard to bind it somehow to, not to myself, but to what I have to get done for that day and how much I value or how much I would judge my self-worth based on what I can get done in a day. And I really want to work with that differently. I want to renegotiate the terms with time so that a spontaneous adventure is possible. One from which I I want to come back, but um, (laughs) nevertheless possible and the blessing of that adventure. I like that. And I like the idea of knowing in the moment whether you want to come back or not, too. Being able to have the, the wisdom or the deep inner knowing to know, do I go or do I stay? Because <laughs> there may be a time when it would be right to cross. Or at least come back different. That would be good, too. Mm. Yeah, to bookmark your place and go into the mountain, knowing that you could come out. So fellow travelers, just remember that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.